Hola, Sue. So this morning, what I'd like to focus on for a few prefatory comments regarding the meditation ties in extremely closely to the topic from last night. So now I'm going to answer a very simple question. Why this big emphasis on Guru Yoga? Why not just give it a rest and focus on the practice? It's a good question. Why? You know, somebody else, Guru Yoga. And it's not just one or two guys' opinion. It's like the whole tradition is saying this. For, for Vajrayana in particular, Dzogchen in specifically, I mean, it's just enormously important. And so, and these are all the, the people who really succeeded. You know, they're the ones saying this. So there really has to be something to it. So now what's the answer? Why, what's the big deal about focusing on someone who frankly doesn't look like a Buddha, doesn't talk like a Buddha, doesn't appear to be a Buddha in any possible way? Why should we regard that person as a Buddha? It just seems like a total, you know, brainwash. And here's the answer. It's to realize that you are a Buddha. And you don't look like a Buddha either. So you would think it's all on me. I know I don't look like a Buddha, but you don't either. <laughs> you don't talk like a Buddha, you don't act like a Buddha. And you don't look like a Buddha to yourself. That's the problem. And so if you start, you know, starting doing self-generation and thinking, as we will be doing, Avalokiteshvara, it's so easy to think. It's like, you know, pardon the expression, but it's like having a dog-shit popsicle and coating it with, sh- with chocolate. Did you get that? Frozen dog-shit on a stick and then cover it with chocolate. And doesn't that look nice? Doesn't that look yummy? Well, the dog shit is, you know, our ordinary concept of ourselves. I mean, my sense of, you know, kind of like, compared to a Buddha, I'm dog shit. That's true. Compared to a Buddha, me? And I was, yeah, dog shit. Pretty good, pretty good analogy. And so it's not that. It's not leaving unchallenged our ordinary sense of I am. Any more than we're leaving unchallenged the ordinary perception that we have of the guru. Because they're both completely filtered and constructed by our own mental afflictions. So the real point here is, you remember, and this all ties in, you remember this term rikpa, rikpa. It's just our ordinary awareness, just right now, I'm aware of Dhamma, I'm aware of Lisbeth, yeah, just that. So I'm immediately aware of that. It's not, no big mystery at all, right? And yet that same awareness, as I'm looking over at Lina, that just same awareness, I'm aware of being aware of Lina. I've got it, it's totally clear. That awareness is not other than pristine awareness. It's not other than primordial consciousness, Buddha mind, Dharmakaya. Not the same as, but it's not other than. Where that perception is, there is Buddha nature. There's Rigpa. They are of the same nature. Ranjin Chikpa Dopa Tade. They are of the same nature, and yet they are distinct. They are not identical. Right? And so, the real point here, what's the point? Now I'll answer it really quickly. Why should we look upon someone else as a Buddha? It's in order to, us be, to effectively be able to recognize ourselves as Buddha, to effectively recognize our own minds as Buddha mind. Because we have body, speech, and mind. But when a person achieves enlightenment, from other people's perspective, the body doesn't miraculously transform into amazing, you know, amazing appearance. After Milarepa had achieved enlightenment, there's a story, I think it's true. Again, if it's wrong, maybe you tell me, yeah? But uh, so he had achieved enlightenment. You know, there he was. He was a Buddha, and in Mahayana teachings, it's everywhere known that you can be a Buddha, but you don't necessarily manifest with the thirty-two major and eighty minor marks. That's you know a very special case. So the Buddha is manifest in all types of forms. That's widely, universally accepted. So it could appear as a Brazilian woman, as a Mexican old man, a young Tibetan child, and so forth. There's just no limitations there at all. So now we're solid Buddhism. 
the, the, the range of manifestations, appearances of Buddha, are simply infinite. And so when you achieve enlightenment, from other people's perspective, you're not, you, don't, you don't suddenly have lights you know, beaming out and so forth and so on. You'll look pretty ordinary. So the story of Milarepa, he achieved perfect enlightenment. And he's just sitting by the side of a path. You might recall the story. I've told it a number of times. And he looks really ordinary. He looks really ordinary. Two young ladies walk by on the path and they note this scruffy old guy, you know, wearing a nightie. <laughs> just cotton cloth, you know. Like. And, and these two young, probably quite pretty young ladies, said, oh, one of them said, I hope we don't turn out like him. And Milarepa overheard them, and he said, don't worry, ladies, you won't. <laughs> so, there's, so what did they see? They just saw a scruffy old man, right? And here he is, he's a Buddha. So his appearance didn't change, his speech didn't change. What changed, of course, is the mind. What changes the mind? So when we look at our own minds, and we've been doing that a lot recently, it kind of screams at us. If your mind is anything like my mind, the mind screams at us, I am not a Buddha mind. I am no part of a Buddha mind. All the qualities of a Buddha mind, I don't have any of them. All the qualities of my mind, the Buddha doesn't have any of them. We are totally different species. Except there is one way that's false. It's quite true. I look into my mind, I see mental afflictions, obscurations, the whole mess, all 84,000. You know, I've got the full set of mental <laughs> afflictions. I get every single one of them. You know. So the Buddha doesn't have any of those. That's right. And then the Buddha has all these extraordinary qualities of body, speech, and mind. I don't have any of them. Not even one. So these are no, two non-overlapping sets, right? With one exception. The Buddha has Rigpa, I have Rigpa. And the Buddha's Rigpa is no better than mine. And of course, mine or cockroaches and earthworms or anybody else's. That's the one common denominator. The Buddha's awareness. Buddha's awareness. Luminous and cognizant. The Buddha's Buddha nature. That. Mine's no worse. Cloudy is no worse than a Buddha's. And that is where Cloudy is. That is where Morgan is. That Buddha mind is right there. So now we suddenly see we have a choice. Well, we thought there was no choice. When we feel locked in, this is who I am, this is my mind, my mind is this, my mind is that, we feel, I've got no choice here. Like, I can't decide, am I, you know, I'm a Brazilian, or an Argentinian, or American. I've got no choice there. I mean, I can always change passport, but no, no, this, this person here, it's not a Brazilian person, right? I have no choice, right? But do we have a choice on how we view our own minds? Because when we regard ourselves as sentient beings and with this total conviction, I'm not a Buddha. I'm not a Buddha. I've read about them. That's not me. With total conviction, you know. We have a sense there's no choice. Because that's a description, not at all like me. I see my mind, not at all like a Buddha. Got no choice, except for there is a choice. And this is what the teachings on Guru Yoga are presenting to us. If you can shift your perspective, see that there is a choice in the way you view the guru. As a spiritual friend, that's a choice. As a stranger, as a, as a nutcase, one of those crazy people who believes in reincarnation. When I first went to, to Russia, I met a guy named Konstantin, and he, and he was public about believing in reincarnation. This was during the Soviet era. They put him in a mental asylum because he believed in reincarnation. And then he saw he wasn't dangerous, so they let him out and gave him a lifelong stipend. 
as a mentally disabled person because he believed in reincarnation. He was so clever. <laughs> it's not easy to get a lifelong stipend, you know. And he got it just by believing in reincarnation. But for, for the Soviet government, he was just, you know, cuckoo. So that's one possibility. If you want to regard me as cuckoo, I'm, people listening, you know, people listening to podcasts, share this recording with your professor at university. Totally bananas. I'm talking about, you know, Buddhas and reincarnation and, you know, I'm totally cuckoo. Very happy. So I'm cuckoo. A spiritual friend, right? Emissary of the Buddha, conduit of the Buddha's blessings, Buddha. Nothing special here at all, but you have those choices. And you can choose any one of them. You want to regard me as insane? I, I can give you a lot of support for that. You know. And all the way to Buddha, there's support for that as well. But you have to look through all the other stuff to see what's the common denominator between this person here and a Buddha, and it's Rigpa. And that's what you can focus on. And that's a choice. Now, there's nothing special here at all. But it's the same thing for yourself. If you want to regard yourself as a miserable human being, you have, you have that choice. And you'll find some data. You'll find some basis for that. You're really a scoundrel. Especially, especially Claudia. Claudia. Totally scoundrel. <laughs> if you want to regard yourself as a scoundrel, you have a basis there. Just focus on that. What a total loser you are. If you want to have self-esteem, knock yourself out. You'll find plenty of data for regarding yourself with low self-esteem. Really disgusting person. Oh, disgusting Simone. Oh, so disgusting. You know, if you want to find it, you will find that. And then you'll have a basis of designation, and then I am a loser. You can choose that. Or you can choose not that. But in order to recognize you have to choice, that you have a choice, you have to stop reifying anything. Because if you reify yourself as a loser, or as I'm better than everybody else, do de do de do you know, high self-esteem, if you reify that, reify yourself as a sentient being, as a human being, reify yourself as a man or a woman, then you just ran out of choices. Because as soon as it's reified, that's the one, that's the one truth, and no, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There's no options, there's no choice. This is who you really are, because that's what's absolutely there, prior to and independent of conceptual designation. Then you have no choice. Then you're a loser, and you're absolutely a loser, and you say, well, what can I do? I'm a loser. That's it. That's God's perspective. That's the absolute truth. So help me. So help me, God. We have choices, but if and only we, have, we don't reify. So we are called sentient beings because in Tibetan, sem jin, which means we are mind bearers, mind havers. What kind of mind? Dualistic mind. Mind saturated by 84,000 mental afflictions. And so this, I've often cited Antonio Damasio in a minor life meeting many, many years ago. He said, as a materialist, he said, my view is that we, we human beings, we are brains carrying bodies on our back. A human being is a brain carrying a body on a back. Okay, nice materialistic reductionism completely dehumanizing, and so forth. Um, I understand why he says that. That's what he's focusing on. He's not stupid. That's what he's focusing on. And that's his choice. But he may not know that he has a choice. I think a lot of materialists think they have no choice. That's really sad. Because the choice they chose, without even knowing it, is self, utterly self-defeating. It's really utterly tragic. We have choices. We don't have to be materialist, we don't have to be theist, we don't have to be religious, but we have no choices in who we reify anything. So 
to break down the reification of the Guru. The reification of the Guru is taking the Guru at face value, as appearances suggest. But the problem is we're, we're attending to the Guru, whoever it is, whether it's a magnificent human being, such as His Holiness, or Dingo Kenja Rinpoche, Chokye Tijin Rinpoche, Kalur Rinpoche, you know, and so a number of others. I mean, these great, great beings are awesome beings. If we reify them as we see them, then we've already blocked it. And then if we say, oh, like Dingo Kenja Rinpoche is an incredible person, and then we superimpose him as a Buddha, it's just more delusion. Because we're seeing him as really a magnificent person, and then we're superimposing on that, oh, he's a Buddha. It's more delusion, you know. It's a very nice delusion. But we're still reifying. So if we're reifying ourselves, we have no choices. If we reify the Guru in any way, we have no choices. And the whole point here of the middle way view, why understanding of emptiness is indispensable for this Vajrayana level of Guru Yoga, is you must recognize that whatever your view of the Guru is, it is not inherently and objectively real. It's not true out there. Truth did not dictate that to you. This is something you conceptually designated by what you're attending to and how you're attending to it. And how we're attending to it is by way of the filters of our mental afflictions and our dualistic grasping. And of course, we're drawing on our own palette and painting the Guru in our mind's eye. And it's our own creation. It always is. Whether you're attending to His Holiness, do you think you really got His Holiness? When you see Him, you hear Him, and then you think about Him, you think you've actually got a, a true portrait of who His Holiness really is? Dream on. That's your, that's your His Holiness. Maybe it's a very nice one. For some people, He's terrifying. No, I mean, really. They're just you know, terrified of Him. The Chinese come, it's just, it's so, it's not even neurotic, it's psychotic. The view of the Chinese Communist government was the Dalai Lama, because he's their best friend of all the Tibetans living on the planet. He's their best friend. He's the one that holds the key to a really happy reconciliation between China and Tibet. He's the one. He's the one that all the Tibetans would rally about. He's the one that could bring peace and harmony and restore the very, how do you say, dented public appearance of the Chinese Communist government and their ter- terrible treatment of Tibet. He's the one that could heal it all. And what do they do? They think he's their biggest threat. You know, that's their view. That's their view. So that's how they view him. You know? And they're locked in. They're reified. They just can't get out of it. It's like a, like a psychotic, schizophrenic person just mumbling and mumbling, mumbling in the dark. He's a wolf in chief clothing. He's, well, he's going to tear apart our, our... You know, Here's this enormous economy, an fabulously wealthy country, and they're afraid of an 80-year-old Buddhist monk. Did you listen to what he just said? That's crazy. That's how they view him. That's how they view him. It's completely psychotic, unhinged from reality. So sorry, but that's crazy. So whatever we think, that's still reification. So in this Buddha Yoga practice, the seven-line seven prayer, the disillusion, the body is the body, the speech is the feet. The core of this is that indivisibility of Buddha's mind with your mind. And what you're not doing here, it kind of looks like you're inviting some kind of a divine possession, like we have demonic possession, right? And then you start acting weird because the devil's got inside of you. This looks like the opposite, doesn't it? Like, come hither, O Buddha. Oh, I'm just possessed by the Buddha. You know, like it's kind of like divine possession, kind of bumped you out. Like, you know, playing pool, and you put some, the English on the ball and go, and the other ball go, like that, and, you, and your ball is where these ball. So you bring in the Padmasambhava ball, put some English on it, pop yourself out, and then, oh, where would Alan go? I am Padmasambhava. It's not like that. 
It's not divine possession. You know. We're doing this as kind of a play to trick ourselves into believe something, believing something is actually true, but we have to have a hard time believing it. And that the Buddhist mind is already indivisible from our own minds. But we don't believe that. We believe that we're wall-to-wall, wall-to-wall sentient being, wall-to-wall 100% sentient being, wall-to-wall not Buddha. And so we're bringing in this dissolution to try to erode that, to see if there's enough room in here for both of us. <laughs> and then it's a matter of perspective. Which would you like? So these are two valid perspectives. Are you a sentient being? Well, I, I won't speak of you because I'm not quite sure. But this one I'm sure. Is this one here a sentient being? The answer is yes. 100%. Not 95%. 100% sentient being. Totally sure. Is this one a Buddha? From another perspective, yes. But not from the same perspective. It's when we don't shift perspective, that's when we go hyper-delusional. Megalomania. Crazy, crazy narcissism. That's crazy, crazy. To hold on to reification and then say, and I'm a Buddha too. I'm not only the screwed up sentient being, but I'm a Buddha screwed up sentient being. <laughs> that doesn't work. That doesn't work. You know, one has to be deconstructed. And out of that, with a different basis of designation, the basis of designation for me as a sentient being is my body, my speech, and my dualistic American mind. And if you designate on that a Buddha, you are out of your mind. That's really crazy. Completely confusion. That will take you away from enlightenment, not towards enlightenment. Right? And if you do that for yourself, same basis of designation. Oh, yeah. Oh, now I'm a Buddha, too. Completely delusional. Now you're, you're inviting psychosis. Oh, multiple personality syndrome. I think I'm a Buddha, but no, I don't think I'm a Buddha. Yes, I am a Buddha. No, I'm not a Buddha. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm louder than you are. <laughs> Just one, one more psychosis. You have to see that none of these are inherently real. The Buddha is not inherently real. You're not inherently truly a Buddha. But that's a deeper reality that conventional reality, kunzop demba, Relative truth, the truth that totally conceals. The truth that totally conceals. That's conventional reality. And the truth that totally conceals is our mind totally concealing rigpa. Therefore, dissolve the reification of mind into emptiness, where you see now you have choices. And then on the basis of new basis of designation, the basis of the designation of your own Buddha nature, then you arise as Buddha. Dissolve whatever you think of the guru. Whether it's this person here, it's, it's His Holiness, it's Gyalakamapa, whoever it may be, dissolve it. Whatever it is, it's dissolve it. You didn't get it right the first time. <laughs> whatever it is, whether it's extremely high, medium, or low, you didn't get it right the first time. Because you reified it. You have to dissolve it. Dissolve it. Dissolve it into emptiness, out of emptiness, on the basis of designation of the Rigpa of the Dalai Lama. The rikpa of Lama Chanjuk, the rikpa of Doug, the rikpa of me, on that basis, then you authentically designate Buddha. But of course, why do this? Why do this? So you can finally recognize who you really are. And you're focusing on a guru. In degenerate times, it is said this. In really great times, you, if you look for the, what are the qualifications of a Vajrayana, Vajra Acharya, there are so many, so august that you kind of think, oh gosh. I mean, just, they're just unbelievably difficult. If you look at the full list 
of a fully qualified Vajrayana master, they're just, you've got to be so high up, you'd break your neck trying to see, see that high. You know? and, but then they say, okay, but these are degenerate times. And they are, they're really degenerate times. So in degenerate times, you know, if you're looking for that, you may just not have any luck, or you may have luck, but you, the only time you ever get to be with that teacher is with 10,000 other people. And a personal relationship is totally out of the question. So it's very nice to admire from afar, but that's all you get. You know, a young Trinambaje, a Solnit Lama, a Gyawakamapa, so forth. I mean, incredible beings, but then, you know, for most of us, what chance do we really have of getting some real guidance? We see them from afar, and they're radiant, they're magnificent. Personal relationship, lots of luck. So in degenerate times, it said, all right, what's the bare minimum, like, you know, to pass a test, what is it, D minus? I think you've just passed, you didn't fail in American grading system. A, B, C, D, D is poor. D minus is really poor, but not quite failing. So just cut to the chase, what's the lowest level of a guru that you can authentically regard as your guru? And here it is, you ready? Somebody who has a bit more experience and or knowledge than yourself and who teaches with compassion. That's it. <laughs> if they're a bit further on the path and you're here and the Buddha's there and this person is one step ahead of you, you're looking in the right direction. The person should be practicing Dharma. If not, then forget it. Should have more knowledge and experience of yourselves. Otherwise, what are you looking at this person for? And the person of teaching you must be teaching from compassion. If it's anything else, it's not good enough. But that's really, now the bar is low, right? That's D minus. So this reminds me of a horrible joke. <laughs> which, of course, I'm going to pass on. And that is, and some of you have heard it before. Two guys are out in the forest, and they disturb some mother bear. She thinks they're, th- they're threatening her cubs. And she starts running after them. She's going to you know, chomp them up to bits. <sighs> Big bear. So the two guys are running away. One guy's just a little bit ahead of the other one. But the guy behind the first guy says, but you're not running as fast as you can. Why aren't you running faster? And the guy says, I don't need to run faster. I just need to run faster than you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see where I'm going with this? His holiness is so far ahead of us. As we're running from the bear from samsara, running towards enlightenment, he's so far ahead of us. The Lord of Death is just going to chomp us up, you know, because he's far ahead. So in a way, the best would be have a guru who's just a little bit ahead of you. And he says, I know I'm just a little bit ahead of you, but that's all I need to be. <laughs> now there's advantage and disadvantages. When we meet these incredible beings who truly have profound realization, there's one. Here's my own beloved teacher, Gautrinapache, and so on. For these beings who really profoundly impress us, who just move us with, and we have this sense, oh, this person's really far along the path. A person like Jadir Rinpoche, and the late Chokyatishan Rinpoche spent, what was it, 19, 21 days in the clear light of death. You say, oh, wow, so far ahead. So these people really inspire us, don't they? If we really take it in, they really inspire us. But they also seem very distant. Like, oh, he's not like me at all. So Namo, then we do then we do prostrations and oh you incredible holy being, not like me. You're so wonderfully not like me. I have such reverence and devotion to you. You're so far along the path. You're actually at the end of the path. Oh so totally not like me. 
So then what, what's happening here? We're reifying ourselves as a sentient being, reifying that person as a Buddha, and once again there's this great chasm between the two of us. So the advantage is, when we encounter such people, they truly inspire us. And for good reason, they actually have very deep realization. But as we attend to them as being so far further along the path, we can also have this real sense. Number one, they're Tibetans. They're not like us. Except on the Tanjula. <laughs> but, you know, frankly, it's much easier to feel Guru Yoga towards a Tibetan than a Westerner. Isn't it? Don't we be so honest here for a moment? <laughs> it's a lot easier to have Tibetan Guru Yoga for a Tibetan than for some guy from California, or Rio de Janeiro, or Berlin, or New York City, let alone Texas. Can you imagine having Guru Yoga for some person from Texas who talks like this? I don't think so. <laughs> you know? So we feel in our comfort zone when we're having Guru Yoga towards somebody who really looks different and they have his eminence, Tukul Rinpoche, super duper, scooper duper. You know, all these incredible lists of you know, highfalutin titles and so forth. And so, man, he's this eminence, this holiness, etc. Boy, that's not like me. Nobody's ever called me as holiness, and anybody's starting to give them a spanking. But no, I don't think any danger of that. So the more distant, the more comfortable we feel. And this is the Western style. We love to make saints of people. We love to idolize people. Then the Western tradition, we like to kill them. <laughs> kind of a downside. <laughs> we do that a lot, actually. I don't know what's with you, you know, but it's kind of a Western thing. Revere them and kill them, and then feel really sorry afterwards. <laughs> I don't quite understand that tradition, but it happens a lot. It's happened a lot, you know, really a lot. And so, if, and here we get serious, we'll go to the practice. If we can actually do this practice towards an authentic teacher, if it's not authentic, don't even do that. Just be a good neighbor to them, but don't follow them as a teacher. But if it's an authentic teacher, and they appear to be kind of like us, and they kind of talk like us, but a little bit better, because that's probably all we're going to see anyway, given our framework, given our palette of painting the teacher. Authentic teacher, sound motivation, good motivation, a lot like us, just a little bit better. If we can view that person as a Buddha, then you're very close to being able to view yourself as a Buddha. And that's what this is all about. To shatter your ordinary sense, your reified sense of being a sentient being. Your ordinary reified sense of having a sentient being's mind. And to see through that and identify the essential nature of your own mind as Rigpa. And it's always been there, and it's always, you've always been. That's the reason for Guru Yoga. Is that really clear then? Really clear. Good. Then let's practice.
Namo lama deshe dupe ku kunjo sungi ranjila datando tu senjenan jamju badu kapsuchi. Namo. In the Lama, who is the embodiment of the Sugatas, of the nature of the three jewels, I, together with the beings of the six realms, take refuge until our enlightenment. Semge doa kundun tu lama sange dupne ni kanla kamdu tinle ki doa doa damchao. For the sake of all beings, I generate the spirit of awakening and cultivate the realization of the Lama as Buddha. By means of enlightened activity, I shall train each being according to their needs, and I vow to liberate the world. West frontier of Odiana, in the heart of the lotus, sits the one renowned as Padmasambhava, who achieved the wondrous supreme city, and is surrounded by a host of many dakinis. Following in your footsteps, I devote myself to practice. Please come forth and bestow your blessings. Guru Pema City Hum. Then while taking the four empowerments culminating in the indivisible dissolution of the Guru's body, speech, and mind with your own, with the emphasis on the non-duality of your own mind, your own awareness, and the enlightened awareness of Guru Padmasambhava, let's quietly recite the mantra.
अम्मा हूँ मारे घर पहने से रही हूँ Within the space of your own awareness, release everything that has to do with the sentient being, everything that's configured, everything locked into dualistic grasping. Breathe it out, release it into the space of awareness without trace, and rest in what remains once you've given away your mind and dissolved it into nothing. Rest in what remains, primordially pure, luminous, clear, non-dual. Rest in the non-duality of your own awareness, in the enlightened awareness of all the Buddhas, as embodied in the Guru. If you'd like to switch positions, please do so now. Every time you stray into a non-lucid dream, you're straying into a domain where you have no choices, or very limited choices. You don't know who you are. Every time you get caught up in rumination, carried away, your choices have shut down. You don't know who you are. Every time you get caught up in the conceptual elaborations of your own mind, your choices shut down. You don't know who you are, and you are identifying with with that which you are not. Release all grasping to that which you are not. Rest without grasping in what remains. When you've surrendered, given up everything else, rest without grasping in this ordinary consciousness of the present moment. It's good enough. That's as close as you're going to get right now to Buddha mind.
So stay there, motionlessly. And relax more and more and more deeply without losing the flow of cognizance and clarity. And let's continue resting in stillness, in silence.
or lasso. So two things really must go together hand in hand, if either one is to be authentic. And that is, one is the, the disillusion or the, yeah, the deconstruction of the ordinary view of the guru, or the guru of the, of the view of the guru as being ordinary, the appearance and the grasping onto, to dissolve that into emptiness, and out of that emptiness attend with pure vision. So there's one, there's one hand. The other hand, and, and they have to go together, and that is the other, the, and you've already figured it out. It's the dissolution of your ordinary sense of yourself, appearances of yourself, the way you conceive of yourself, dissolving that, it's a construct. And there are so many reasons that's true. So many. Whatever your story is, at best it has only a fraction of truth. And it's actually a very tiny fraction. Because our sense of self is based, based, based on our life story, our sense of personal history. How much do you really think you remember? of what's happened over the last decades. How much do you really remember? You're making up a story inspired by a few grains of truth, and the rest is all just a story. And it's fiction. There's no person there corresponding to your own self-concept. There's no one there. It's an empty room. Where you think you are as a sentient being, it's an empty room. There's no one there. Check. Don't take my word for it. It's an empty room. It's a hall of mirrors. So, release it. And out of emptiness, arouse yourself with the divine pride, the pure vision. And now you have something that works. Then there's no idolatry, there's no self-aggrandizement, there's no fooling, there's no pretending, there's no bullshit. It's really viewing the Guru in the most authentic way possible, so that you can view yourself in the most authentic way possible. And of course, what we'll see very shortly as we go to the second of the uncommon preliminaries, it's not just two, we're going to start spreading to our Vajra siblings. Right? And then we'll keep on going out from there. So, to do this just for 24 minutes a day is going to have not very big impact. You know? So therefore, as much as we possibly can, to throughout the course of the day be releasing, 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 at least this, releasing identification with that which you are not. At least that's a step in the right direction. Don't identify with your body. It's not you. It's not a person. Don't identify with your mind or anything happening in the mind. It's not you. It's not a person. So, you ready? Stop it. <laughs> Don't do that. It's a really bad habit. <laughs> at least that. You know, at least that. Because it's just so obviously true. That shouldn't be a big struggle. Thoughts are not a person. Emotions are not a person. Mental fiction is not a person. Brain is not a person. Give me a break. The body is not a person. So don't identify it being you, it's not you. And when you release that, you might just be able to crack open the door to realizing who you are. And the way to do that, of course, is just rest in awareness. X marks the spot. Just go as deep as you can there. That's doable. What I just suggested, that's not impossible. Stop identifying with that, which is evidently not you. And then just rest there to the portal your substrate consciousness and rigpa. There you go. That's a strategy. Okay? Good. Enjoy your day. See you later. <laughs>